Good morning. Good morning. Come on in. Get comfortable. Find a seat. And let's get anybody ready for the word this morning. Amen. 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 Turn to somebody. Say it's good to see you in church this morning. You look good in this light. Come on. Amen. Amen. Wow. I'm moving a little slower since Thanksgiving. So you got to let me catch up a little bit. Amen. Everybody had a good Thanksgiving? I've been thinking about, it's funny that Ephraim started talking about the table and kept talking about this table because I've been thinking about the the Jesus table ever since we we took communion two weeks ago. And I've I've been just thinking about that idea, that theme of coming to the Jesus table. I'm glad that at least for Ephraim it stayed in his head. I hope that some of you have had that kind of in your mind every time you see a table, every time you see a table prepared for you. I, I just keep thinking about this coming when you're out of options, come to the table. When you're running short, when the wine is out. Wine was a, a picture of joy in the, in the Bible. When the joy is, is low, come to the table. Amen. When you're empty, come to the table. David tells us even in the hardest of times and in the toughest of situations, in Psalm 23, he says, I prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. Wow. I think of how many tables God has had me sitting at. In the presence of my haters. (laughs) Amen. The psalm says, you anointed my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I've been thinking about the tables that God has set before me. Since we shared communion two weeks ago and then Thanksgiving came. And we, we had a, a bunch of people coming over to our house, and, and you can ask my wife, my hang-up, we, we, we argue about this every year, my hang-up is that I want everybody at the table. I want, I want, a, and, and, and she tells me every year that's not possible, we have 23 people coming over, that doesn't make sense, we can't have everybody at the table, they don't fit. But you see me late at night bringing up folding tables and I'm setting up tables and setting up tables. And so our, our Thanksgiving table starts in the dining room and ends in the living room. Because I want, I, I, I don't even care. She's worried about the turkey and the food. I'm like, I don't even care about all that. I tell her every year, let's just order that stuff. <laughs> Who cares? I don't care if the turkey was good. I don't care if the, there's going to be plenty of food and we know and we're going to eat and it's going to be fine. What matters to me is that there's room at the table. Amen. And so every year I spend way too much money trying to prepare the table. Every year. I'm out at Target, I'm buying long tablecloths and I'm buying uh, uh, placemats. Don't judge me, guys. I got man points. I ride a motorcycle. And I buy tablecloths. All right? All right. So, so don't judge me. 
But I'm buying fancy top. I bought these fancy, you know, and I'm setting this table up. And, and when I look back, I think it looks all pretty and everything. I got 13 mismatched chairs on every side, you know. And I, I'm pretty happy with it. And then, you know, I look on Instagram and I see Stacy's table. And so I hate on Stacy for a little bit. She's counting next door, I think, so it's good. I can talk about her. But see, my thing is, I just don't, I, want, I don't want people sitting by themselves. I don't want people to grab their food and go sit and, and, and watch football. I know a lot of you do that. But I want us all at the table. I want there to be room at the table. Amen? And I, I think the reason there's so many references throughout the scripture to weddings and feasts and banqueting tables is because our Father isn't as determined as you might think of keeping you out. I think the heart of the Father is to let you know that there's room at the table for you. There's room at the table. Amen? And, and there's abundance and provision at the table. Anybody ever been on a cruise? Oh, man, I love cruising. Because in, in a cruise, everything's provided for in abundance. Amen? If you want to gain 10 pounds, you have a good shot. On a long enough cruise. And you could just sit at the snack table all day, eat all the cookies and ice cream you want. You could have pizza at three in the morning. You could have a sandwich sent to your room at, at four in the morning. You could have steak for breakfast. You could go to the dinner and say, there's salmon, there's chicken, and there's steak. What would you like, sir? Um, I'm, bring it all. <laughs> Did you know? If you didn't know, you could do that. You could tell them, bring me the salmon and the steak. Or oh, some of you know, I could tell. I, could, I mean, you know, not that I could tell, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> what matters on a cruise is that your name is on a list because of what you paid for in advance. You, you get one of these cards, right? Remember that? Yeah, that's EVIP, baby. That just means I pay way too much for too many cruises, amen? But because, because your, your name is on a list... Because of what you paid for in advance, you have a place at the table. Oh, come on. You can feast because it's already been paid for. So listen, I have two messages left for the year. We're at the end of the year. Can you believe this? Like this is it for November. Next week is December. You already got, you guys got the Christmas days counted down. How many days you have left to buy a certain amount of presents? It's, it's rough. This is a rough season, right? But I have two messages left for the year. There's this one and one more to close out the year and to get us ready for a new year, for a fresh challenge. I'm excited about that. But I want to, what I want to do today, I, I want to deal with some housekeeping. Is that all right? So this might be a different kind of message for some of you. If you're visiting today, I'm sorry. God set you up. See, we read through the scriptures how the disciples, they went everywhere they went. They started these churches. And then what they did, they go back to these churches. They write letters to these churches. And they'd address the issues that were happening at these churches, right? They did housekeeping. Paul wrote to the Corinthians and to the Ephesians and to the Philippians. Those were letters written to the churches to do housekeeping. So I, I think it's okay. And I'm, I'm being biblical in, in saying I want to do some housekeeping today. Is that all right? Because you see, sometimes we need to refocus, right? 
Sometimes we need to adjust. I went, I went to the doctor. These glasses are new. You like these? Come on, say yeah. That's nice. Be nice. Be kind. So I went to the eye doctor this past week, and, and I had an eye examination, and they hooked me up to all kinds of machines, and boom, boom, boom. And then he sat there, and he said, how, how about this? Do you see better now? Do you see it clearer now? How about this? How about this? How about now? How about this? This better? This worse, right? You, you guys know, right? They put all these things but back and forth, back and forth, until he makes everything crystal sharp, you know, crystal clear. And then he said, that's good. And so he, he determined that I need a little adjustment here, a little adjustment there, so that I could be able to see things clearer. Sometimes we need to be adjusted so that we can see things a little clearer. Somebody say amen. Because we can get so caught up in the church thing that sometimes we don't even realize we're not looking at things the right way anymore. Yeah, hold on. Grab the handlebars on the chair now. We, we realize we don't see things clearly anymore. We're looking through the wrong part of the lens. Sometimes we don't, sometimes we don't even realize that we stopped growing. Hmm. When we first came to church, boy, you came, you wanted everything, you wanted all of God, you was worshiping, you was giving, you was all excited, and then, and you thought there was nothing but love, love, and, and butterfly, fairy wings, starbursts, candies, skittles, rainbows, right? But then, you know, then after a while, you sat in here for a little bit, and you met that one person with the attitude, and then you're like, oh... And then things change, and then you change, and then we don't realize, if we don't adjust, if we don't keep adjusting, understand that this is a hospital for sick people, amen, that there's no perfect people here. If, if we don't adjust and kind of, we, we start seeing things the, the wrong way, we stop growing personally, we, and then sometimes we don't even notice that we've grown cold, that we stopped loving. Did you, do you know, right above the entrance there, there's a seven foot love? That you have to walk under every day to get into this building every time you come in. How many of you stop noticing again anymore? Well, yeah, Derek always sees it because he has to duck underneath it. <laughs> so he sees it. But we, we forget that there's a seven-foot love, right? We forget that we're called to be a safe place where we can love God and love people. That's why the name of this place is the Sanctuary. So that we can love God and love people. This should be a safe place. And, and we have to remind ourselves sometimes, especially those of us in ministry, we have to remind ourselves that we, we do want to do things in excellence, man. We try to do everything in excellence. And we've been stepping things up to all kinds of levels. And I'm proud of the team. I'm proud of the things that, I mean, you like our wall and that crazy? It's looking kind of cool in here, right? And, but we try, and I keep hearing next level, next level. But it's, it's easy to go crazy and forget that it's about people. It's not about a next level ministry, a next level building. It's not, all that is nonsense if we forget that it's about the people that come and the people and the way the way the people feel and the way. And, and some, listen, some people get upset when the church is like this, it's in its growing state. You get upset because you, you can't come in at 11.30 or 11.45 anymore and find your regular seat. Hello. You used to be able to stroll in at 10 to 12 and just, I'm just you know, miss the offering and, and just come in, you know, to, to, to catch the word. Just come in to steal the meal. Oh. 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 That was Holy Spirit. I didn't even write that down. That was... You just come in to steal the meal. Now, you come in at 11.45, you're sitting by yourself. You got to spread out. Amen? 
And, and I want you to know something about that also. We're not trying to grow a big church. Like we have enough headaches with what we have. <laughs> you guys think you're not a lot of work? There's a lot of work in here. Amen. So we're not trying to grow a big church. All, I want you to understand all we keep doing is we keep making room in case God wants to keep adding to the church. And that's what I believe we're called to do. Because I already told you, my hang-up is that I want... The reason we don't have two and three services and trying all that nonsense... For me, my hang-up is I want everybody sitting together at the table. I want us all to be at the table. That's, that's my... Because I want everybody that comes here to understand that in my father's house, there's room at the table. Amen? We can get so caught up in the church thing and going through the motions that we don't even notice when we stop trusting God. You know, before when we, when we broke, when we don't have a job, when we need help, oh God, I need you, oh, I need you every hour, right? You're crying out like cats on the, in, the, in the, right? I need you, God. And then, but then sometimes, you know, when God, it's funny, when God blesses us and we, we get God's blessing and things start going better, it's, we, we almost talk to God and we say, I got this. I'm good. My salary's a little more, you know, a little better now. I'm good. And, we, and we're like, I got this. And, and we forget and we, 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 we don't even know when it happened, when we stop trusting God and stop depending on God when we started thinking that we got it on ourselves. Listen, the, the other day, Pastor Mark told you that we got the change of use approved for the building, right? And that was based on the final acceptance of a sprinkler application being applied and so uh, I think I told you already we had to sign a contract for that sprinkler system and it totals a hundred and five thousand dollars a hundred and you heard me right not a hundred dollars and five but a hundred and five thousand you know what people pay in the Midwest for a house we're paying for sprinklers in this building and so we had a good chunk of that saved up but we don't have all of it and I want you to know that. And so I told the whole team right now, no more spending, no more events. As a matter of fact, we're not even doing New Year's this year. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But we're not doing New Year's because, you know, we, we did the Harvest Festival. That was for the kids that mattered. We did, you know, all of that. And so we're putting the money where it matters and, 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 and we need to be good stewards of how we use it. And right now we have to come up with a lot of money for the sprinklers. And so we kind of put a stop on all, on all spending. We signed the contract in faith, trusting God will supply as he has every step of the way for the last 10 years of this church. Every step of the way God has provided. But how does God provide? How does God provide? You guys don't even, you're scared to answer that one. Thank you. Through you. Through us. God provides through his people. Amen. Listen, there's some people in this body, man, that you have always been so faithful and so generous, and it's been amazing. We've always, and God has used you mightily. But you know what? With this many people, if we all practice tithing instead of tipping, we wouldn't even have to be talking about a sprinkler system. Can, can, I, can, I, can I share with you? Can, I'm just doing some housekeeping. Is that all right? Don't get uptight because I mentioned money. You know I never get up here and be begging for money. That's not us.
And I want you to understand something, even for those of you that may not know the whole staff and know us here. Listen, nobody here is trying to get rich off church money. Okay? Nobody here is trying to get rich. I'm not trying to buy a $23 million jet so I can go to Westchester and back. I don't even have a TSF scooter. Right? Even your senior pastor works a full-time job. So I'm not trying. Nobody's here trying to get rich. We, We just want to keep the building open. Amen? I work a full-time job, and I love it because it's great because I get to give to the church. I get to give to this church. And so, listen, I'm not going to get into all the scriptures and principles and giving, and, and, and then you have people that want to debate, well, that's an Old Testament law, that's New Testament principles. Listen, if that's your heart, then keep your $10 in your pocket. We're good. Don't worry about it. All right? But, so I'm not going to get into that. Here, here's what I want to do. I, I'm just going to tell you what I do because it works. I'm going to tell you what I do because it works. Not what I'm preaching, but what I do. Here's how I work it out for me. And and this is how God has always been faithful. This is good business practice. You can write it down. You can take it to the bank because it works. Listen, when I make $100, I take a tenth of that. The tithe is a tenth. I take $10 and I give it to the church. I take $10 and I give it to my savings. And then I live and pay bills with the 80 that's left. I mean, that's a 10-10-80 principle. It's a blessed principle that works. Let me step it up in numbers. If I make $1,000, here's where it starts to get a little more difficult. I give $100 to the church. I know some of you, that's a special, uh, you know, rate. No. I make $1,000, I give $100 to the church, I give $100 to my savings, and I live on $800, and I pay bills with $800. Some of you say, well, that's not enough. Well, well then there's two solutions. Make more money or spend less. Make more money or spend less. Some of you, listen, I hear people talking about the struggle and the struggle, but you ain't struggling. You're mismanaging. Because people talking about the struggle, but they got the triple pay files package with every cable channel. You're updating your iPhone Plus 6S, 17, 4, 6, 11 every season. Your iPhone's this big now. <coughs> you're not struggling, you're mismanaged. Struggling is, is when there's no food on the table to feed your kids and you got to send the kids to bed early because you can't feed them. That's struggling. We don't have a struggling problem here in the city. We have a mismanaging problem. Amen? Listen, I believe this is me. Again, this is me. You can say, well, that, well, that's just you. That's fine. I believe everything I get is a gift from God. I believe everything that even my ability to hustle, my ability to make money, my ability to grind, my ability to, to make wealth, that's a gift from God. And so I'd rather partner with God. And so I, with every money that I make, I give. You know when tithing becomes a problem? When you make more money. When the numbers get higher, it gets harder to give a tenth. Because the numbers are bigger. It gets, so the more you're blessed, the harder it is to tithe. Isn't that crazy? But I have a solution for that too. Pray and ask God to keep your income low. 
Tell God, God, don't send any raises my way. Don't send any promotions my way. Because when you give me too much, then I can't give it to you. And, I, and, and then I fall. And then I, so, so God, keep me humble. Keep my paycheck low. Keep my income low. Keep me the low job on the, job, on the, at the workplace. Right? That's a good solution. I mean, that's on, that's on you. Amen? The word says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want my treasure to be in the kingdom of God. Amen? Listen, any car that I park on the street, somebody could take it and blow it up. Any car, you, I could have men, woo, you know what I'm saying, right? You can have, you hear these people that got just billions of dollars. They got cars they haven't even sat in, just sitting in the driveway, right? And what they're doing, they still got issues with drugs. They still got issues with relationships. They're killing themselves. They're, they're, they're depressed. Like you and I, we're like, depressed? Give me 16 cars in my driveway. See how depressed I am. I drive each one to the mailbox and run back and, and drive the other one, you know. But, but it's not true. It's not true. That stuff doesn't satisfy. Amen. So I'd rather partner with God and show him that I trust him with my finances than live with a blessed 90% than to keep the whole 100% and then have to rely on myself and rely on my job and rely on the market and rely on the economy. And then, and then when, when I get laid off, I'm back at church and I need you. Oh, I need you. More calls and crying and everything, right? I'd rather partner with God and know that if the economy is up, if the market is up, if this is down, if my, my job closes down, if, if this is good, God got me. He got me. Amen? Not because I paid him to. Don't, don't mismanage. You're not paying God to do things for you. It's just partnering and saying, God, I trust you. Even with this, where this treasure is, even with this, I trust you. Amen? So, so family, the only reason I'm talking, to, I want you to understand that it costs $14,000 a month just to keep the building open. Did that mess some of you up? For, how, what's your rent? 14000 a month. Just to keep the building open, the lights on, and the music playing so that more people could come and be free and find a place at the table. Amen? I, I don't know about you. I get excited about that. We, we just took another step of faith last weekend. We ordered 50 more chairs. 50 more chairs, $1,600, we've ordered 50 more chairs. You say, well, where are we going to put those chairs? You see that office and all those doors there? Take a peek inside before you leave. Everything in there has been gutted. We got rid of our last office. We threw it into the cold side of the building. And in two weeks, you'll see all of that gone, and we'll have 30, 40 chairs in that whole another section there. Why? Because in my father's house, there's room at the table. Amen. And so, listen, we'll keep knocking down walls and adding chairs and knocking down walls and adding chairs because I want people to understand that there's room at the table. That's the message that I want you to receive today, to have in your heart, to make part of who you are because it's the mission and the heart of this church that there would be room at the table for them. There's a place at the table, a place in the kingdom for everybody that comes searching. Amen? I don't ever want to have to turn anybody away or tell them to come back a, a, another day. Listen, churches can be so exclusive. I live in Mount Vernon, and the city sign, when you drive in Mount Vernon, it says the city that believes. And you think, wow, this is the most Christian place ever. <laughs> Until you pass the sign. 
<laughs> there are so many churches and all I see is exclusivity. The closest church to me, they believe that they worship on Saturday. And anybody that doesn't worship on Saturday, you ain't even saved. I know this because they told me. They came to my door. They knocked on the door and they said, brother, we just want to invite you. We're, we're, we're having a service this Saturday. We're giving away food and we want you to be. And I was so excited. I said, man, that's so beautiful. I felt convicted. I said, man, is my church doing that? Are we reaching out to the community? Right? He, and, and so I thanked them. I said, brother, man, thank you so much for reaching out to your neighbors. That's beautiful. And, and um, I told him, but as a matter of fact, I'm a Christian. I didn't tell him I'm a pastor. I just told him I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm part of a church in the Bronx. And I expected him to hug me, give me a man hug, and say, all right, bless you, amen. We're in the kingdom. We're doing this thing, right? Instead, he proceeded to grill me. He said, well, your church meets on Saturday or Sunday? And that threw me off. I said, Sunday. We have our service on Sunday. Well, do you know huh, that, that the Bible says... Huh, that, that if you don't keep the Sabbath, ha, which is on Saturday, ha, ha, that, that you're the false church. He started preaching like a, a car drove up with an organ. It was like, damn it. And I was shocked. I was blown away. I told, I told him, brother, that's not what the word says. Jesus said, I am the Sabbath. All we have to do is keep Jesus, not a day. I said, get out of here. Get out of my house. Stop knocking on doors. You don't have any good news to share. I wish you wouldn't uh, tell anybody anything. And so right next to them is another church. And this church is beautiful, man. Big, beautiful building. And, and when you see these people come in to church, man, they are. It smells like dry cleaners. Like everything is pressed and creased. It's beautiful hats that reach the sky. And, and, and it's beautiful. It looks like a red carpet. I mean, it's, it's amazing. And they're, they're, you know, they're walking. They walk, they walk different than we do. I mean, it's beautiful. These people are beautiful. I wasn't that good looking at my wedding. I wasn't dressed like that at my wedding. And so, and so I have, so what options do, but that's not the gospel message. What options do I have? I, I can't go to this church because I don't believe like they believe and so I don't fit in. I can't afford to dress like these people so I can't go to that church. And then the other church on the block is nothing but nobody that's my color. And if I walked in there, I don't know what they would tell me. And that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel message. The gospel message is there's room at the table. There's room at the table for you and for you and for you. And, and it doesn't matter. There's room at the table for the young ones, the older ones, the dark ones, the light ones. There's room at the table for, the speci for, for people with special needs. Listen, we have parents here <coughs> who have told me they can't come to church because their kids have special needs. And they might have to, he said, you don't understand, my kid might have to stand up. He can't just sit still for a little while. He might have to stand up and he might have to walk around. And, and he might have to make noises sometimes and, and we can't make him stop. He, he'll just make noises or she'll just make noises. And, and they have to do that to soothe themselves. And we tell them, that's okay. That's okay. 
And he said, but, and they tell me, but you don't understand, we've been asked to leave churches. Because churches say they don't want their worship distracted. And it breaks my heart because, let me try to say this in love. If, if one of these beautiful children distract you from worshiping, do me a favor and worship at home. Watch us online. Amen. Stay home for a couple of weeks. Let God deal with your heart. Ask God about it. And then when you're ready to be part of the body, come back. Because there's room at the table for you too. Amen. But if there's room at the table for you, there's surely room at the table for one of my special ones. Amen. Listen, as a matter of fact, I'm going to use this opportunity because our children's ministry needs help. And, and the reason there's no four and five class today, why? Because we felt like, oh, let's pick this class and punish the parents. No, they can't. No, it's because, because somebody couldn't make it today. It's because we don't have a large enough team working with the kids. We have over a hundred kids in this church. And it's not a babysitting service. This is a, a real bonafide, like strong, it's empowering ministry. These kids are, they're not playing games. They're not playing tag and duck, duck, goose. They're, they're getting ministered to in the rooms. We call it children's church because it's church for children. Amen? And so we need help, man. See Pastor Melissa, see Natalie, Daisy, sign up. Listen, as a matter of fact, we even started a one-to-one program. Come on. What's a one-to-one program? Well, there's, there's some kids that have, they need, they need more attention than others. And, and they need to have somebody kind of shadow them and be with them. They need to have somebody with them that can maybe pull them out of the class for a minute and let them calm down and let them, let them find their peace again and then bring them back in. Somebody that would walk with them. And so we started a one-to-one program so that every one of these kids would have somebody kind of shadowing them. Amen? But, but listen, don't clap. Don't clap because there's only three or four people doing this. And we have more kids than that. And it's not right that those three or four people are every Sunday got to follow a cow and they don't get to sit in service and be fed. And so I'm calling the youth. I'm calling the young adults. I'm calling you out. So sign up for this thing. It's, listen, it's the most rewarding thing you would ever do when you pour into the life of a little one. It's the most rewarding thing. You'll be more blessed doing that than blessed sitting here in church. Because it's amazing. And we need you. Volunteer once. Do one Sunday out the month where I want to give my heart. Listen, we'll train you. We'll teach you how to do it. You don't need a whole lot of special. You just need to learn some things. Because we believe those kids deserve special attention. We believe they're worth it. Say amen. Amen. So see Pastor Melissa, see Natalie, see Daisy. Loving these kids is the most important thing we can do as a church. Jesus said what you've done for the least of these You've done unto me. He don't care that what, what you wear to church. He don't care that you... Oh, let me, let me move on. I had a visitor come up to me recently. Right after service, I just poured my heart out. I had studied 15, 20 hours on the message. I, I gave it all I had. I left the stage wounded like a wounded soldier, just sweating, tired, exhausted. And this young man came up to me and, and you know, it's, it's always scary what's going to happen. And he told me, man, this is a, a great church. That was a good message, pastor. But this house is out of order. He said, there's kids running around. There's kids that don't respect the altar. There's, kid, there's people drinking coffee in the sanctuary. There's people eating during the message. This is out of order. 
So after I punched him in the throat, no, no, I did, I did it. But I promised to God I wanted to. I told him, brother, 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 I understand, I understand the way you see things, and I understand this might not be a traditional church of what you're used to, but you need to understand the heart of this church. And until you do that, coming up to me after a message and judging me and dropping that on me, you ain't hurt, you ain't helping nobody. You're not blessing nobody. Amen. So then I had the ushers punch him in the throat and throw him out. I didn't. I'm kidding. Listen, I understand, church, that this, might, this church might not suit everybody. People don't understand how religious they are until they sit in service and watch somebody drinking coffee next to them during the message. I know some of you had all the same reactions. You're like, oh, my God. And, and you're, you start moving away little by little. Because you say, God is so angry right now at this aisle. And isn't it funny that we believe this? Like God is so offended that we're drinking coffee in the sanctuary. In the templo de Dios, there's going to be drinking. Ay, me. Ay, Dios. Right? Again, listen, listen. The temple days are over. That's Old Testament. This is the temple now. This is a warehouse. This is the temple. This is what you have to keep pure before God. God doesn't care what you eat and drink here. He said it's what comes out, not what goes in that makes you unclean. Can we settle that? But that being said, this is still not a place for everybody, and I understand that. It's okay. Amen? There's some people that need it a different way, and God bless us. Amen. That's why there's so many different churches, so that people can find a place where they feel home and where they feel connected. Amen? Now, now that being said, there, there are things that we need to work on as a church. We, we should have some reverence. As a body in the house. Not reverence to the building. Not reverence because this is the place where God dwells. No, this is the place where God dwells. So we should have reverence for God's people. Amen? So that means if, if there's the word is being ministered to, if there's, if there's worship happening, that means, that means we, we, we shouldn't be like yapping and talking and getting up. Listen, if you could sit through a two and a half hour movie without, listen, without talking to 16 people... Without going to the bathroom three times, without passing something to this one, Pat, you know that you get thrown out of a movie theater like that. But if, if we could do that, then we, sh- then we should have some respect here. We, sh- we just should. Amen? And so that's something we're working on as a body. That's something we need to work on. Listen, if you go to your friend's house or, or to your, your, your family's house, and, and if there you don't put, you know, coffee cups on the chair so it spills, and, and if you don't leave the junk underneath your chair, and you don't need your sandwich and your, and your crumbs and your candy and your wrapper, I, I'm sure we don't do that in people's houses, right? If, if we don't do it there, we probably shouldn't do it here. Amen? Just out of respect. Listen, we, we pay somebody to clean this building. We pay him very, very little to clean a very, very big space. It's almost not fair. So we should, amen, take your cup with you. It's all good. You, you drank it. You ate it. Boom. You spilled it. Wipe it up. Take it with you. Dump it. This, this garbage is back there. Amen. Just out of respect and reverence for the house of God. Can we say Amen. Okay, that was the housekeeping. Whew. I'm sorry if it felt like a pow-pow session. That's not how I meant it. 
But there's just sometimes we just need to focus, amen? We just need to clarify things and just so that we can continue to... Listen, I believe this is a great church. I believe not, you know, it's not us, it's us. I believe we got a great thing going on. I believe God is moving, God is doing things, God is touching lives, growing lives and reaching people. And it's, and it's amazing. We want to do everything in excellence, amen? So enough of that. Let me, let me take you to this short story in the book of Samuel. Because if I don't give you a passage, you'll leave here and say that pastor didn't even preach the Bible. <clears throat> and we don't ever want to do that because the word is all that matters. I just didn't want to have a meeting to talk about all this. I wanted to just tell you here because you guys wouldn't come to a meeting. Amen? That was good, right, Mark? Mark's happy right now. So let him know. So I want to take you to this short story in the book of 2 Samuel about the king's table and a disabled man named Mephibosheth. The story begins in 2 Samuel chapter 9. And let me set it up a little bit because there's a lot going on. So Saul was the first king because the people wanted a king and God said, you don't need a king, but the people wanted a king, so God gave him a king. And Saul was the first king and and he was doing good in the beginning and ruling well and having victory. But then later on, uh, uh, God gave him David. David became uh, an armor bearer for him and David started winning battles and doing amazing things and, you know, because he was being led by God and Saul got jealous of David. There's nothing more dangerous than a jealous leader. If you find yourself under jealous leadership, that's a bad place to be. And so it got so bad that Saul tried to kill David many times. David would play his harp. Every time Saul, the word says, was tormented by spirits, David would worship and, and the spirit would leave Saul. He would bring peace. His worship would bring peace to, 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 to Saul. One time, a couple of times actually, he was worshiping and Saul, once he got his composure back, he took a spear and chucked it at him, trying to pin him to the wall. He was just so jealous of him. And so it, it, was, it got really bad. Saul tried to kill him many times. Saul had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan loved David. They were, they were tight. And, and Jonathan was always trying to help David deal with his father, Saul, the king. Eventually, David had to run away and go into hiding for years because Saul was persecuting him. Saul was chasing him, hunting him down. David had to live in, in caves and in, in, in hiding. But before he left, he made a covenant with Jonathan. Listen, Jonathan knew that God was with David and that he would eventually be king because he already knew that God was with him. And so they made a covenant with each other. And David made a covenant with Jonathan that he would show Jonathan the Lord's kindness while he was alive and to his family and his, his offspring after he was dead. And so they made a covenant that he said, I will always love you and love your family long after you're gone. And they made a covenant. In those days, some of the commentary says that, that they would cut themselves on the forearms. And they would, you remember how you did when you were kids? You did blood, yeah, don't do that. Don't do that. If you ever did that, go get checked out. But back then it was a different time, right? So, so they, would, they would make a, and they would become blood brothers. And then eventually there'd be a scar. And that scar was a reminder of the covenant. Oh man. Jesus has scars as a reminder of the cup, all right, that's, I'm getting ahead. So they made a covenant. Fast forward, 
Saul and Jonathan are killed in a battle. There's the battle against the Philistines and they're fighting, whatever. Saul and Jonathan are dead. And David is now appointed king at age 30. Side note, David was actually anointed as king when he was 15. So he was anointed at 15. The call of God was on his life to be king since he was 15. But he was appointed at 30. What made David a great king was the time between the anointing and the appointing. Listen, by 30, he had gone through so much and had learned to trust God with so much through it all that now he was prepared to be appointed. So, so he, hear this. Don't let your anointing, your charisma, your gifting get to your head and get ahead of your appointing. Amen? In due season, you will reap a harvest if you faint not. But don't let your anointing get ahead of your appointing. Amen. That was for somebody. Just take that. So, so David is king now. He's, he's leading. He's being led by God. It's an amazing thing. And, and he fights all these battles. He's trusting God. And God is, is with him. And he's successful. And apparently one day he remembers the covenant. Maybe he looks down. I, I can imagine if he's fighting all these wars, there's a lot of scars he must have. There's no way he was like Superman. He never like got hit. He must have, when you're battling with swords and knives and, and arrows, he's he sure he had a scar or two. But one day he must have looked down and, and seen the, the, the scar and remembered the covenant. And then that's, that's where we come to our text in 2 Samuel 9, verse 1. It says, Then David said, Is there let yet anyone left? Of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Is there anybody left from this family that I can show him kindness? This is why God says David was a man after God's own heart. When David became king, the first thing he asked was, what can I do for God? And he wanted to build God a temple. He said, why do I live in, in a house and, and God still dwells in tents like he did back then? He said, I want to build him a temple. But, but God told him, wait, wait, later. Your son's going to do that. That's not for you to do. But that was his heart. What can I do for God? Then a few chapters later, he's asking, okay, what can I do for somebody else? That's, what gave, that's why God said David had a heart after, after God. He, he was asking, what can I do for God? What can I do? If we live with those two questions, we'd be changed. Somebody say amen. So David is reminded of the covenant that he made with Jonathan, even though Jonathan is dead. He said, is there anybody left? And so Ziba, who was the servant of the house of Saul, said to the king, there is still one son of Jonathan alive, and he is crippled in both feet. He's handicapped. And so the king said to him, where is he? Where is this, this son? And Ziba said to the king, behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. And so this man, Mephibosheth, who's the son of Jonathan, the grandson of, he's the son of a prince. He's the grandson of a king. But he's living in hiding. He's living away from where he's from. He's living in somebody else's house. He says he's in the house of... So that means he doesn't even have his own house. 
He's living away and he's living hidden on somebody else's property, even though he has his own. And so we learn what happened to him in 2 Samuel 4. It says, when Saul and Jonathan were killed, the nanny grabbed the baby, Mephibosheth, when he was five years old. Because she was scared. Normally when the new king takes over, they kill everybody from the lineage of the old king so that there's nobody you know, left. But that wasn't, that wasn't the heart of David. That wasn't the heart that he had after God. He's looking to bless that family. And so the, the nanny grabbed the five-year-old and went running. She was booking, just boom, up, up and down the Ave with the baby. She trips. It was probably like a, on YouTube back then, right? She trips and she falls and drops the baby. And the baby breaks his back and his legs are paralyzed. And so since five years old, Mephibosheth has been paralyzed and they live in exile in a place called Lodabar. Let me tell you about Lodabar. Lodabar means no pasture. It's a dry place. It's, it's a place of no substance, a place of no growth. Lodabar was a desolate place of hiding. It was a place of shame. A place of fear, no water, nothing grows, no signs of life. Some, some people lived there because they were born there. Some people lived there because they were brought there by their fear and by their shame. Mephibosheth was living there since he was five years old. Now he's a middle-aged man with a son. He lived in hiding, just surviving. He couldn't work because he was lame. He couldn't hold any position of authority or influence. He, he was just a low life from a low place with, without any hope of anything ever changing. Anybody ever been there? Some of us came from Lodabar. Some of us here still live in Lodabar. So then King, then King David sent <laughs> and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Mephibosheth probably thought when he got found, he probably thought he was going to be killed. He said, David, the King David wants to see you right now. And they brought him, and, they, and he couldn't run. He's lame, right? He's crippled. He couldn't run away. He could, he'd been found out. He was out of hiding. He probably thought he was going to be killed. He said, man, they're bringing me back to the king to face my death. At least they're going to put me out of my misery. At least I don't have to keep living this way. My life sucks. I have nothing. I'm living in a place of nothing. There's no hope. There's no life. There's no growth. There's no pasture. At least they're going to bring me back and they're going to kill me and it'll be over. David says to him, as soon as he gets to David, he throws himself, he puts his face down on the floor and he, and he falls uh, prostrate before him and he says, your servant. And, and David says to him, listen, listen, to the heart of God, do not fear for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan and I'm going to restore to you all the land that your grandfather saw and you shall eat at my table regularly listen 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 to the heart of God there and and again he's he's on his face he's like I don't understand I expected the sword to cut my head off and and he says who who what is your servant that you would regard a dead dog like me can you imagine how your self-esteem is when you call yourself not a dog? It's one thing to say, I'm just a dog. I'm a dead dog. There's nothing low. What's lower than a dead dog? Worthless. 
He says, who are you? That, that, and, and so the king calls Saul's servant, Ziba, and he says to him, listen, all that belong to Saul and all, and all to all his house, I have given to your master's grandson. He says, you and your sons and your servants, you shall cultivate the land for him and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. And the word says, and so Mephibosheth ate. Worship team, you can start coming. And so Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. I want you to get that picture in your head because it's the picture of the heart of God. Here's a man with special needs. Here's a special needs kid. He's crippled. He's probably only ever known scraps thrown from a table like a dog. He's so full of shame because of his inabilities, because of his limits, because of his luck that he considers himself as valuable as a dead dog. Nobody has ever told him that he was worth something. Nobody's ever told him that he had potential, that he had authority, that he was the son of a prince, that he had destiny. He was only ever looked at through his disability. Listen, maybe that's you today. Maybe that's some of us today. We didn't have a father maybe since childhood. You were raised by somebody else and all they ever told you was you're not good enough. You don't really belong. You're not really part of this family. And maybe you felt less than your whole life. Maybe you came from a place like Lodabar. Maybe not physically, but spiritually. In other ways. And you, you've been stuck in a place where nothing grows. You've been stuck in a place where there's no life. Maybe you've been hiding all of your life behind the struggles you've had to endure. Maybe it's the shame of your past. Your decisions, the sum of your sins, and you've been living in spiritual Lodabar. And, you, and we can say, well, there's nobody hiding here. We're in church. Yeah, church is a good place to hide. A lot of people hide in church. So I know I'm talking to some of you in this building, some of you that are maybe listening online. You've been living in a spiritual Lodabar. And I want to tell you today that God is a covenant-keeping God. I want to tell you today that David's covenant, listen, David's covenant is a picture of the covenant that we have in Christ. That says to us, to you and to me, there's room at the table. There's nothing like a king's table to hide sin-crippled legs. The Father does for us what David did for Mephibosheth. And I, I believe every day the Father, the heart of God, he remembers the covenant. And he asks, is there anyone left that I can show kindness to for the sake of my son? I want to tell you, family, you don't have to hide anymore. 
You don't have to be ashamed anymore. You are no longer separated from the king because of your past, because of your ancestors, because of your decisions. Our king sought us out before we sought him. Our king returns us, returns to us what was lost. We have the privilege of provision at the king's table. We're received as sons at the king's table with access to the king and fellowship with him. We can feast because it's already been paid for. My prayer is that we will always as a body, as a church, make room at the table for all that would come and seek him. Can we just stand for a moment? When you heard some of, some of this, you know, when some of you heard about Mephibosheth, you can't pronounce the name, but you said that's me. And so uh, it's just the best blessing of of being in this church, of having this church, the best blessing is to be able to reach out to you right now at this moment and ask you to come. Ask you to come to the altar. I'm going to ask you to come to the table. If that's you, if you, you've kind of been living in this hiding place, would you, would you come out of hiding today? Come out from that row. Come out from that place. Come out and understand that God, the King, has called you out. Understand that the king is making room for you at the table. If you need prayer, if you want somebody to stand with you, to believe with you, would you, would you just join us at the altar here as we just worship a little before we leave? It's important. Amen. 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 It was just for you. The whole thing is worth it. And I get the prayer team to just come and let's love on some people before we're gone. And let's just keep that in mind. I hope you understand that we love you. We're here to do what God is calling us to do. And we're here to make room at the table so that you can have a place at the king's table and you can feast on the provisions that have been provided. Come on to me.